Amen. You can be seated. Please take your Bible and turn to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4 will be our text for this Ascension Sunday 2022. We will read Ephesians chapter 4, verses 8 through 12. And just so everyone knows where we're going, we uh, about four weeks ago started our sermon series, Pastor Kevin and I, through the book of Exodus, have gone through Exodus chapter 4. These next three weeks, we will pause from our series in the book of Exodus as we celebrate the liturgical uh, church holidays of Ascension this week, Pentecost next week, and Trinity Sunday the week after that. And then after Trinity Sunday, we will be back in the book of Exodus. So our sermon, or our text this morning is from Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 8. And here's what we'll do. I will read the text. Uh, I will say this is the word of the Lord. And if you agree with me, please respond. Thanks be to God. Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 8, the Holy Spirit says this. Therefore it says, When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended... What does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Sanctify us in the truth. Your word is the truth. We pray these things, our Father, in the name of your Son, the ascended Lord Jesus, and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Today is National Biscuit Day. Did you know that? Did anybody know that? Apparently it's also Pink Flamingo Day you were unaware. Yesterday was National Cheeseburger Day. Amen? Annabelle and I celebrated with some Burger King because Burger King is the goat of fast food cheeseburgers. There has been a trend, though, in the last few decades that I'm assuming you've noticed to assign a national day to just about everything under the sun. Every day is a national day of something. We're living in this strange cultural moment now where every single day is a kind of day of national observance. And while that's true, for most, if not all, of human history, people have always seen the value in assigning specific days of remembrance. Whether it's personal, a birthday, a wedding anniversary, uh, or whether it's religious, you can read through the Old Testament about the different holy days that Israel observed. 
Um, but it wasn't, it wasn't true of Israel only. This is true of all peoples and all religions. People have always seen and recognized the importance of having special days, days where we remember and celebrate specific things. Well, as we mentioned earlier, this past Thursday was an important day of remembrance for us on the church calendar. Thursday was Ascension Day, 40 days after Easter. Uh, Ascension Day, of course, is when we remember the ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ. 40 days after Easter, Jesus ascended to heaven publicly, visibly, um, and that makes today then Ascension Sunday. It's the Sunday after Ascension Day. It's the Sunday before Pentecost, which will be next Sunday, 50 days after Easter. And today's Ascension Sunday. It's the day that as a church, we celebrate and remember the ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, it's a sad truth that there are probably more low church Protestants in America that celebrate Mother's Day or Father's Day at church than celebrate Ascension, Pentecost, Trinity. Uh, again, there's nothing wrong with celebrating Mother's Day and Father's Day at church, but the sad thing is that a lot of these churches, churches of our ilk, um, it, it wouldn't even be a question as to whether we must celebrate Mother's Day or Father's Day, and yet so many are unfamiliar with important holy days like Ascension, Pentecost, and Trinity. Of course, here at Christ Community Church, we celebrate Ascension, Pentecost, and Trinity every year because we believe these doctrines encapsulated in these days are essential elements of the gospel. For 2,000 years, Christians have confessed in the Apostles' Creed, we believe Jesus Christ ascended to heaven and sits at the right hand of the Father Almighty. This morning in our uh, historical reading from the Nicene Creed, we confess that Jesus ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. The ascension of Jesus Christ has been an integral facet of historic Orthodox Christianity since its very inception. In fact, this morning in Mike's Bible class, we read from Luke 24 and Acts 1, uh, just before Pentecost, as, as some people call it, the birthday of the church, what did Jesus do? He ascended. The ascension of Jesus is what leads to the coming of the Holy Spirit. Our sermon for this morning for this ascension 2022 is from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 8 through 12, the text that we read. And in this text, the apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, reveals to us how intensely practical the ascension of Christ is for us for Christ Community Church over 2,000 years later. And Paul does this uh, with, with three things. Uh, he, he shows us a picture of the ascension. He then presents the ascension to us. And finally, he reveals one of the purposes of the ascension of Jesus Christ. So Pastor Kevin's already excited because of the alliteration. Uh, John Babuka's already excited because I've laid out all my points. I've got at least two people here that are into the sermon, so I hope for the rest of you that it's helpful. Let's start with the picture of the ascension that we see in Acts chapter, or not Acts, in Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, this picture or this prototype of the ascension that we see, beginning in verse 8. 
Um, but before we, before we do that, let's just have a little background here. The Ephesians 4 begins this whole chapter. We're not going to read the whole chapter. But it begins with Paul commanding the church to be unified. That the church should be unified and should love each other. And we should be unified because there is one Holy Spirit that we all have, that we all share. And he unifies the body. Earlier in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul says that we have one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who believe. And then Paul grounds our unity, this unity that we're supposed to have as a church, in the ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ. But before Paul does that, he reveals this picture to us, or this prototype to us that was given long ago of the ascension of Jesus. And you'll notice in verse 8, where we started reading, it says, Therefore it says. The word therefore clues us in that Paul is about to connect what he just wrote with what he's about to wrote, be, about to write. Because that, that's true, because everything so far is true, therefore this. Therefore it says. The it in this phrase is referring to Scripture to the Bible. Specifically, what Paul is referring to is the Old Testament. And this is such a beautiful theological phrase that Paul gives us here. And, and if you read over it too quickly, you may not notice it, but he, he's talking about the Bible, and he's talking about the Old Testament, and he says, therefore it says. Paul is telling us what Scripture says. The Bible is not merely a book that you read. The Bible is a book that reads you. The Bible speaks. Scripture is the very word of God. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 says that it's living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword. That Scripture cuts to your very heart. This is why it's imperative that we practice expository preaching every Sunday here at Christ Community Church because we need to hear from God. You don't need to hear the pontifications of Alex Loganow or Kevin McGuire or any of the other elders or of any man. You need to hear from God. This is why it's so good for your soul to read the Bible every day. Regardless of what you're reading in the Bible, it doesn't matter. The Scripture is shaping you. God's Word isn't merely read or heard. God's Word speaks. The English translation here accurately conveys the form of the verb. It's a present active verb. Paul does not say it said. No, he writes, it says. It's still speaking. He's quoting this passage from Psalm 68, verse 18. We read it in our call to worship this morning. Psalm 68, verse 18 is not merely something that was said in the past. No, Psalm 68, 68 18 still speaks. It is speaking to us right now. On May 29th, 2022, every time you read your Bible, every time you hear the scripture preached, 
God is speaking. Lord, give us ears to hear. Paul does quote here from Psalm 68, verse 18. Like I said, we read it in our call to worship. Psalm 68, 18 says this, You ascended on high, leading a host of captives in your train and receiving gifts among men. So just a little background on the psalm. Psalm 68 uh, is a psalm of David. We read that in the superscription. Whenever you're reading in the psalms, the superscription is a part of the psalm. That is part of God's inspired word, so don't skip over that. Uh, that is important, and we learn that it's a psalm of David. And what Psalm 68 is, is it's a psalm of David wherein David is declaring the victory of Yahweh in leading Israel from Egypt to the promised land. So David probably wrote Psalm 68 as he was bringing the tabernacle into Jerusalem as David himself is assuming the throne. So David is making a sort of ascent to Jerusalem to bring God's dwelling place to the holy city. And he's writing about the victory of the Lord in bringing his people from slavery in Egypt to the promised land. The psalm is basically summarizing the events of Exodus through Samuel, taking us from the Exodus to the kingdom of David. In verse 18, the one specifically that Paul quotes here in Ephesians chapter 4, David is writing about what happened at Mount Sinai when Yahweh, through Moses, gives Israel the Ten Commandments. And David writes, you ascend on high. The you that David refers to is either Moses or Yahweh. Uh, We don't know for sure. Read three commentaries and you'll get two, maybe even three different answers. We don't know for sure uh, whether he means Moses or Yahweh. Either way, I think the point is the same because as we have already seen through our sermon series in the book of Exodus... Yahweh is leading Israel through Moses. So whether he's specifically speaking about Moses or whether he's specifically speaking about Yahweh, uh, for the point of this text, it doesn't really matter because Yahweh is leading Israel through Moses. And uh, it's a host of captives that he's leading. Israel. They were the captives in Egypt redeemed through the Exodus. And Psalm 68, 18 then says, that you led the host of captives, you ascended, and you received gifts among men. We haven't got there yet in our study of the book of Exodus, but at Mount Sinai, Israel took all of the plunder that they brought from Egypt and they used it to build the tabernacle. Paul quotes this verse because he's telling us that the ascent to Mount Sinai, you know, Yahweh or Moses ascending to the mountain, to get the Ten Commandments, to get the instructions for the tabernacle, that this ascent is a picture or a prototype of a greater ascension. Paul is instructing us that Moses, Yahweh, both to some degree, they ascended up the mountain of God, Mount Sinai, Mount Horeb, as we've seen it called so far in the book of Exodus. And the the reason for that was that Yahweh is giving Moses two things, the, the Ten Commandments, the law, And he's giving him the instructions for building the tabernacle, which will be his dwelling place among his people. 
and that that ascent of Moses up the mountain to get those things for the people of Israel, that this was a shadow of a greater ascent to come. Now, David is writing Psalm 68 as he is ascending to Jerusalem with the tabernacle. So follow this historically. Moses goes up the mountain, the mountain of God, Mount Sinai, Mount Horeb, to get the instructions for the tabernacle, which is God's dwelling place. Now, years later, David is ascending to the new mountain, right? Mount Zion, Jerusalem. He's ascending this new mountain of God with the tabernacle where God will dwell with his people. And that both of those events, Moses up the mountain at Sinai and David up the mountain at Jerusalem, both involving the tabernacle, are providentially ordained historical events that are pointing us forward to the ascent of the true and better Moses, of the son of David, Jesus Christ. And so the first point of application that we want to make from Ephesians 4 this morning is one that we note often here at Christ Community Church, and that is that we must always read all of Scripture in light of the good news of the life death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is exactly what Paul is doing here. Paul is not misunderstanding Psalm 68, 18. Paul is not misquoting Psalm 68, verse 18, but he is rightly interpreting Psalm 68 in light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We too must interpret the Old Testament in light of Jesus Christ. To interpret the Old Testament apart from the gospel of Jesus Christ would mean that we are not reading our Old Testament as Christians. Jesus and the apostles always read and interpreted the Old Testament in light of the gospel, and we must always do the same. So we see here is it's a picture or prototype of the ascension. The second thing we see is a presentation of the ascension. Paul presents the ascension to us. In verses 9 and 10, Paul writes, in saying he ascended. So notice, he, he, read, he wrote and is presumably reading Psalm 68, 18, and now he's interpreting it. But notice, notice how he interprets it. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. Here, Paul gives us a two-verse summary of the incarnation and ascension of Jesus Christ. He tells us that Christ descended to the lower regions, the earth. Now, theologians debate whether the descent to the lower regions signifies Jesus' incarnation in general or to his death and burial specifically. Again, either way, his death and burial are included in his incarnation. So I'm not sure that really matters. I think the point is the same regardless. Jesus is the eternal Son of God who has always existed with the Father and the Holy Spirit. In the fullness of time, Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. Jesus lived a truly human life yet without sin, Hebrews 4.15. Jesus died on the cross, bearing the wrath of God for the sins of his people. We just sang it. 
Till on the cross as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied, for every sin on him was laid. Here in the death of Christ, I live. Jesus died. He was buried. And on the third day, he rose again from the dead. Forty days later, he ascended, Paul tells us, far above the heavens. Because Jesus Christ ascended to the right hand of the Father, he now fills all things. That's what the text says. That he, may, that he might fill all things. The human body of Jesus of Nazareth is in heaven now. About a week and a half ago, we had Renee Ross's funeral here at the church. And like all of the saints that have gone before Renee, uh, Renee's soul is now in heaven with Christ, awaiting the day of resurrection. But Jesus' soul, it's not just Jesus' soul that is in heaven. His body is there too. He is the only resurrected and glorified human being at this point in history. One theologian said of this phrase that Christ might fill all things, he said that Christ as God is present everywhere. Christ as glorified man, he can now be present anywhere. So as in his divinity, he is always present everywhere. He's omnipresent. But in his humanity now as a resurrected and glorified man, he can be present anywhere. We saw this during his 40 days in between his resurrection and his ascension when Jesus would randomly show up places and then randomly disappear. Now his human body is at the right hand of the Father, but he is with us always, he tells us, through the Holy Spirit. So Paul gives us a picture of the ascension, a prototype from Psalm 68, 18. He then presents the ascension to us, Finally, what he does is he gives us one of the purposes for the ascension. In verses 11 and 12, when he writes, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So Paul tells us here, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that one of the purposes of Jesus' ascension to heaven is that he would give these offices to equip Christians to do the work of ministry in order that the church would be built. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers are the gifts that Paul mentioned in verse 8. What's interesting, I don't know if any of you noticed this, is that when Paul quotes Psalm 68, 18, he, uh, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 8, he changes it. He changes one of the words. Or I guess we could say he's interpreting it Christ Christocentrically. But it is different, and it's caused some debate. Psalm 68, verse 18 says, He ascended on high, you know, he, he led a host of captives, and he received gifts from men. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 8, Paul writes, He gave gifts to men. Some have tried to argue here that Paul might be misquoting Psalm 68 or that he's just disregarded the original text 
for his own purposes to make his own point, or maybe even that Paul is quoting something else that we don't know about. But I don't think that's the case. Jim Hamilton argues that Paul is correctly interpreting Psalm 68:18 in light of the Christ event. So remember this. Remember, in Psalm 68, David is reflecting back on when Israel gave of all of the plunder of Egypt to Moses to build the tabernacle. The receiving of gifts was for the purpose of building the tabernacle, God's dwelling place among his people. This is providentially pointing us forward to Christ, who then, after his ascension, gives these gifts, these offices, to build his new covenant tabernacle, his new covenant temple. As Paul says elsewhere, the church is the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are God's dwelling place in the new covenant. The church is where God dwells with his people right now. And the gifts that Christ gave to build up the church were apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers. Now, regardless of whether you are a cessationist, a cessationist means that you believe that the miraculous gifts in the New Testament, specifically in the book of Acts and and some of the apostles, that they were used primarily to verify the message of the apostles and subsequently with the death of the apostles and the completion of the canon, that those miraculous gifts have ceased. Okay, if you believe that, you're a cessationist. Or if you're a continuationist, this is what continuationist means, that you believe that the miraculous gifts are still in effect today. Okay, regardless of whether you are in one of those two positions, I think we can all agree on this that these offices described, apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, teacher, that they all either existed or still exist for the purpose of declaring and explaining the word of God. That's what all of those offices did. You'll notice Paul doesn't mention deacons here, deaconesses. They are certainly a gift to the church that the Lord uses to build his body, but they are not, that's not a teaching office. Paul is speaking of teaching offices here. That's what the apostles did. That's what the prophets did. That's what the evangelists have done. That is what shepherds and teachers do. So from Ephesians chapter 4, we see that one of the reasons that Jesus ascended to heaven was that so that he could give the gift of Bible expositors and teachers. And these are the primary gifts that he uses to equip the saints to do the work of ministry, to build up the church. Christ's primary means of equipping believers to do ministry is the preaching and teaching of Scripture. Paul is telling us here that the means for church growth given by the ascended Christ is not cool music or a big youth group or fun kids' programs, or relevant or funny messages, or hip social media branding, or a successful business model, or being attractional, or being seeker-sensitive, or any number of ideas that men have cooked up for church growth. 
Paul tells us that the ascended Lord Jesus builds his church uh, through the ministry of the saints and that the saints are equipped to do the work of ministry through faithful Bible preaching and teaching. Again, this is why we practice expository preaching here at Christ Community Church every week. This is why our liturgy is saturated with the Word of God. Jesus will build His church through His Word. And any church that is seeking to build the church through any other method other than faithful preaching and teaching is at best swimming against the stream of the intention of the ascended Lord Jesus Christ. A final, final point of application here is this, that the ascended Christ is building his church through the saints who are equipped to do the work of ministry. Sometimes people will ask me, how long have you been in the ministry? What they mean by that question is, how long have you been a full-time pastor? I've basically been a full-time pastor the entirety of my adult life. I started pastoring 12 and a half years ago. I was 21 years old. Bethany and I had been married for a, a whopping five months. But when Paul uses this phrase, the work of ministry, doing the work of ministry, in verse 12, he's not merely talking about those who are paid to serve the church, pastors, missionaries. Paul is talking about every Christian. It is the saints who are equipped to do the work of ministry. When Paul writes the word saints, he's not identifying a special class of believers. He's not talking about the NFL team in New Orleans. He's talking about those who repent of their sin and place their faith in Jesus Christ alone. A saint is everyone who acknowledges that God is holy and confesses that they themselves are a sinner and who trusts in Christ alone. Is that you? If so, you're a saint. You are a saint and you need to be equipped to do the work of ministry. That's one of the reasons why Jesus ascended to heaven. We are saints, holy ones. It means we're set apart from the world, the flesh, and the devil to do the work of ministry, that we're called to build up the church through the work of ministry. Well, what is the work of ministry? The work of ministry includes all of the ways that we glorify our triune God through remembering and proclaiming the death and resurrection of Christ in the local church. The work of ministry is preaching and teaching, teaching men, women, and children how to follow Jesus. We do this in our worship services. We do this in our classes, Bible studies, small groups. The work of ministry is, is leading others through the weekly liturgy, which includes singing, prayer, confession of sin, the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper. The work of ministry is mercy ministry, led by deacons and deaconesses, caring for widows, orphans, and the poor, as our covenant says. The work of ministry is sharing the gospel, 
sharing the gospel with those who do not believe and reminding those who already believe of that same gospel. The work of ministry is faithful, qualified men shepherding the church as elders. And the work of ministry is church members faithfully submitting to godly elders. The work of ministry is men leading their wives and children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. The work of ministry is husbands and wives faithfully loving each other until one of them dies. The work of ministry is giving of your tithes and your offerings to sustain the church. The work of ministry is practicing church discipline for the purity of the church and for the holiness of her members. In short, the work of ministry is obeying everything Scripture commands through faith in Christ alone for the glory of God and for the good of humanity. Jesus Christ ascended to heaven. Jesus then gave the gift of faithful Bible teachers to equip all Christians to do the work of ministry. The result of these Bible-equipped believers doing the work of ministry is that Jesus Christ is building his church. Today may be Biscuit Day or Pink Flamingo Day or whatever silly day that the culture wants to recognize, but as Christians today, we celebrate the ascension, the ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus' ascension to the right hand of the Father was foretold in the Old Testament. It was accomplished in history, and it was for the purpose of building Christ's church. For 2,000 years, Jesus Christ has been ruling and reigning at the right hand of God the Father. And in that time, he has continued to build his church by equipping his saints to do the work of ministry. May Jesus continue to build Christ's community church through the ministry of each and every one of us. Happy Ascension Sunday. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we ask now that you would take your word and that you would plant it deep in the hearts and minds of your people. Father, you have promised us that your word will not return void, that everything that it has gone out to do, it will accomplish. So, Father, we ask for anyone who may be here with us as we're gathered to worship who has not trusted in Jesus alone to save them of their sins. Father, we ask that they would take the knowledge of the gospel as revealed in your word and preach through the sermon, that they would assent that these things are true and that they would trust in who Jesus is and what Jesus did alone so that they might experience the forgiveness of sins and the hope of eternal life. Father, we pray for our people here at Christ Community Church, those who are suffering in sickness. Father, those who are suffering uh, relationally, emotionally, physically. Father, that they would be comforted by the good news of Jesus and the hope of the resurrection. Death will not have the last say. Our living resurrected Savior sits at your right hand even now, and he has been building his church for over two millennia. Father, give us humility and give us confidence in the gospel. And we ask 
that you would teach us now as we come to your table, that you would teach us to pray as your son Jesus taught us when he said, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Father, we pray these things in the name of the ascended Lord Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.